Thank you so much. Uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hands. We're in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, pull it out on your phone or in a Bible. We'll get that to you. So we're in a series. Actually, I'm actually completing a series that we took a break from for the summer uh, called Vital Signs, a Pathway for a Deep Beneath the Surface Spirituality and, and how we do formation at New Life Fellowship. And we've gone through these seven vital signs of a deep beneath the surface uh, spirituality. Scripture, and Sabbath, spiritual companion, silence and stillness, self-reflection, listening. Uh, serving and skills to love well. And you can go back on the website at New Life and look at different ones of the sermons. I want to bring the series to a close before we launch out into the fall uh, and the end of the summer here on skills uh, to love well, and which really is the purpose of all the exercises and all the practices that we do in our walk with Christ. And so the title of the sermon is The Greatest Miracle of All, uh, Learning to Love. Uh, the Greatest Miracle of All, Learning to Love. So, um, Let's just pray as we uh, commit this time to Christ. And uh, it's one of those sermons that, you know, it's impossible to live except that the power of God fall on us and his grace uh, enables us uh, to live it. So let's just pray and offer our time to Christ. <clears throat> so thank you, Lord. Uh, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you that our eyes are, uh, we can see the beautiful day, we can smell it, we can feel it. Thank you for life. We thank you for uh, the privilege to be in worship, to let music carry us to you, and, and now to be exposed, Lord, to bread from heaven uh, through scripture. Feed us, and may your words find good soil in us, and uh, may we love like you love, and cause the world to flourish and know Christ. And we pray this in his name, and everybody said, amen. Uh, one of my <clears throat> favorites, if not my favorite, book or novel of all time is a, a book called uh, Brothers Karamazov by a Russian uh, novelist named uh, Dostoevsky. Some of you may know it. And uh, <clears throat> he tells a story in his book. He tells a lot of great stories. It's a book worth reading multiple times about a wealthy woman who approaches an old, old monk about how can she know if God exists? And he says, you know, there's no way I could prove to you that God exists. There's no argument that's going to convince you. But there's one way that you can know that God exists. And he says, but you've got to practice active love. And then she confesses to him, you know, she goes, I've dreamed about that. A life of loving service to other people. And she says, you know, I thought about becoming a monk or a nun. And living in holy poverty, giving all my money away. And and serving the poor in the humblest way. She says, but then it crossed my mind how ungrateful people would be. You know, I, I, they would complain the food wasn't hot enough. The bread wasn't fresh enough. The bed that we gave them to sleep in was too hard. And she says, I, I couldn't bear the thought of them being ungrateful. And so my dream about loving other people and serving them just vanished. And, uh, and so she says, you know what, I'm still wondering if God exists. And so this wise old monk said this to her. He said, love and practice is harsh and dreadful. It's a dreadful thing compared to love in dreams. Love and practice is a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love in dreams. In other words, we all like the idea of loving. It's awesome. You know, it's like, I'd be a great Christian if it wasn't for people. 
And I, me and Jesus have a great time. And I'm doing wonderful. You know, people who drive you crazy or irritate you or hurt you. Um, and, and so th this, this theme of love and practice is a harsh and dreadful thing. It really is. Compared to love and just dreaming and talking about it. And so uh, today's topic is actually the culmination of that series on vital spiritual practices. And it's coming... Uh, in, a, in a passage that we all know in 1 Corinthians 13, it's a very famous passage. I mean, we read this passage at weddings and, and funerals, and, and it kind of makes you hear, it, feel, it makes you feel good, you know, like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, and, and, uh, and we love it. But the problem is, it, it's one of the most misunderstood passages in the entire Bible. Uh, when Paul wrote this, he wrote it to a church in a city called Corinth in present-day Greece. And Corinth, in ancient times, was a lot like New York City. It was a cosmopolitan city. It was strategically located on a seaport. It was money flowed through Corinth. Uh, it was actually the wealthiest city in Greece. Uh, for the previous hundred years, before Paul arrived there, the city had exploded. Uh, again, one of the biggest cities in the empire. It was filled, much like New York City, it was filled with immigrants. Very multicultural. People came from the eastern part of the world, the western part of the world, Egypt, Asia, Europe, Greeks, Jews. Everybody was there. And they say Corinth was sex-obsessed, money-obsessed, and success-obsessed. Sounds like New York. It was kind of like a mix of New York, Las Vegas, and uh, you know Los, Los Angeles. It was very prominent. And so people came to Corinth to make it. Uh, people come to New York, right? They come to make it. And a uh, place to make money. And it was actually, this, the place was so wild, Corinth, that there was a phrase called to Corinth, uh, Corinthize people, which meant basically they, they lived in utter depravity. Anything went. Because everyone had left home to move there. And there was, there was actually a, uh, a massive hill there in which there was a famous temple to Aphrodite uh, filled with male prostitutes. And uh, tens of, they say, hundreds of prostitutes uh, were there, and part of the religion was to go and engage in prostitution. And so there was a phrase called Corinthian girl, which meant basically a slang for, you know, a loose woman. And, uh, and, and so the, the city was, you know, the church, as it, God birthed this church there, uh, this was not like the clean and the beautiful people in the church. You know, when Paul refers to them in the book of Corinthians, he says, remember what some of you were, and he lists what some of them were. You were swindlers, thieves, male prostitutes, sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, slanderers, greedy, and drunkards. I mean, what a, what a way to talk about the church, you know. Because that's what you were before you came to Christ. Don't ever forget that. And so when they came to Christ, this church was a very different kind of church. The, these folks were, were brilliant. They were gifted. They had fire. They had zeal. Uh, they were talented. Uh, they were, they, they, all kinds of gifts were flowing. This church was growing very, very rapidly. Uh, and very powerfully, they were a gifted church. The problem was, they were a messed up church. They were divided, they were jealous of each other, they were envious, they were fighting, there was conflicts that were unresolved, uh, there was a lot of pride, lack of humility, all kinds of stuff underneath the surface. So Paul writes them this letter called 1 Corinthians. And, uh, but the, this passage, we're going to just do three verses, 1 Corinthians 13, is actually like in the heart of the letter. And it's a rebuke. It, it, is, it, is a, it is a nasty rebuke to this young church to straighten out. All right? So I want you to read it in that context, and then I'll explain it. Here's what Paul writes. If I speak in the tongues of humans or of angels, but do not have love, 
I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and it can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. You know, I gain nothing. And so, and so Paul drops a bomb. You've got to see this is a, every time you hear this passage or, or read it, you've got to think this is a bombshell falling on this church. Because what Paul is saying is this. You can speak in beautiful tongues of human beings. You may speak, or God may give you a gift of speaking ten languages. Like in the book, in book of Acts 2, Pentecost. And you can bring Christ to the world. He goes, doesn't matter. He goes, you can speak in the tongues of angels. And, and uh, you know, the gift of tongues. And, and Paul says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. And if you've been in, in, in places where uh, tongues have been released, and it's been an interpretation of that tongue, it is a, it's a, when it's done in the Spirit of God, it is majestic. It is beautiful. It is and Paul says, you could speak in real, literally the language of angels in heaven. And it happens, right? And he, go, and he goes, but if you don't have love, you've got nothing. He goes, you may have a gift of prophecy. And, and, I, and, I, and I have seen some incredible gifts of prophecy in meetings of a thousand people. Someone calling someone out and, 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 and speaking a word over that person that just cuts right to the quick and freeing a person. And, and, and it's so powerful. And, and it, you can fathom all mysteries. You may have such insight into Scripture and, and all knowledge. You may be smarter than the smart. You, you may be, we have some smart people at New Life. Jerry and I joke around, there's a lot of smart people in this church, you know. And, uh, I mean, have a couple of PhDs. And you, you may know all the knowledge there is to know in the world. And Paul says, it doesn't matter. If you don't have love, you've got nothing. In fact, and then Paul says, you know, you may have a faith to move mountains. Now, no. Rich spoke about amazing faith last week, you know, and, and you know, if someone comes to you and they're sick or they're paralyzed and you've got the faith, they get healed. Or someone doesn't have a job and they're unemployed and they're broke and they're stuck and you pray for them and boom, the mountain is moved. Or they're relationally, you know, angry and bitter and full of hate and you pray and boom, it's gone. And love is flowing. I mean, you're just, people come to you and mountains get moved. And Paul says, that's awesome. You may have been given that by God, but if you don't have love, he says, you've got nothing. And then he goes on, he goes, you may give everything you possess to the poor. Imagine, sell everything. And in ancient times, in the, in the second century, there was a fellow who wrote this book called Clement, a Christian. He was, he was a bishop, and he was rebuking people who were selling them, Christians, who were selling themselves to slavery so they could give the money to the poor. That's commitment. And he goes, you could sell yourself to slavery and give it to the poor, but you know what? If it's not motivated by love, it's worth nothing. And then he says, you may give your body to hardship so you can boast. And look what I did for Jesus. And, and uh, you know, flagellate yourself. And you may have seen this. You, you know, different religions, Islam and, and Hindus do it. And actually, there, there are Christians that do it as well in parts of the world. And they beat themselves over and like on Good Friday, you know, and the cross and doing it for Jesus. And, and they're bleeding there. And Paul says, you can do that too. You know, but if you do it, if it's not motivated by love, it's worth Nothing, and I, I know people who've done incredible, I, I, you know, incredible things for God. I mean, from fasting forty days to all kinds of exploits for God. But I tell you, you're with them, and you feel judged and criticized. And Paul says it doesn't matter if love's not coming from it; it means nothing. And he uses the word 
nothing. You can look good on the outside. You can be impressive. You can actually be helping people. But he uses the phrase here, and the key phrase is, is if you don't have it, he goes, I am nothing. I gain nothing. And the word there is nothing. He's saying it's worth nothing. you got to let it sink in here for a second. Yeah, but people are getting help. Paul says it doesn't matter. Before God, if there's not love flowing for the motive of why you're doing it, it is worth nothing. Because he's saying the sign of the Holy Spirit is not the externals. It's the love of Jesus flowing out of a heart. That is, the, that is the sign. In fact, I'll put it this way. Love is the infallible sign of the work of Jesus in the heart. It's love that is the sign of the Holy Spirit moving in a heart. And Paul's not down on spiritual gifts. I mean, Paul says, I, I speak in tongues more than all of you. He says, in fact, he says in chapter 14, the next chapter, he goes, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Especially the gift of prophecy. I mean, Paul's into gifts, Paul's into power, Paul's into healing, and Paul's into miracles. But he wants to make it very clear that that is worth nothing unless it's coming from a heart that's motivated by the love of Jesus. And so, you know, if you think of, of you know, Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 7. You know, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, you know, is mine. You, know, you can prophesy in my name and do miracles in my name, but, but, but I don't even know who you are. There's something missing here because there's no, there's no love flowing from this. It's about you, really, more than it is about other people. And so we see this in the Old Testament. People like Balaam in Numbers who was a prophet. And the Old Testament refers to him as he's not even a believer. Saul, the great king of Israel. This guy was a king of God's people. He led them into battle. He prophesied. He, um, you know, he spoke the word of God. But he ends up in witchcraft. He ends up jealous. His heart just goes down, down. And uh, so, so gifts are flowing through him, but he himself does not have love coming out of him. The same thing happens with Judas, one of the 12 disciples. Judas, if you look closely at the New Testament, this guy drove out demons. This guy preached about Jesus and led people to Christ. He healed the sick in the name of Christ, but he didn't know Christ. So what you've got going on here is, you can, you can be, the power of Jesus can flow through a person and gifts. And what Paul's saying is, it's possible they're not even a Christian. He makes the separation. And he's definitely making the connection of what the gifts and the power that flow through a person have nothing to do with their spiritual maturity. They are two separate issues. I like what Jonathan Edwards says. Think of it this way. You can wear beautiful garments on the outside. You can wear fantastic jewelry on the outside. It doesn't mean your soul is a jewel. It doesn't mean your heart is a jewel. It just means you're wearing great jewelry and people are enjoying it. You're wearing a beautiful garment and it looks really good. It doesn't mean your heart is a beautiful garment. Paul separates the two issues here and he says, Corinthians, you know what? You've got all this stuff flowing through you. But let me tell you something. Without love, you've got nothing. You're immature. And you need to grow up. And so the Spirit of God can use people whose hearts are not fully given over to Christ. That's the bomb here. And that it takes a heart changed for there to be real long-term spiritual fruit. So again, what does it mean to love someone? Love is, is, is you live in such a way that the other person is flourishing. It's for them. 
It's their flourishing. They're, they're blossoming. So here's some signs for Paul that you're off. You're, you're off God. You're off the spirit. He goes, you're irritable. You're proud. You get offended easily. You're jealous a lot. You're envious. You're touchy. You're self-absorbed, envious. You're, you're entitled. You're always looking for the worst. You're triggered. You're judgmental, pushy. And these are some of the signs that Paul will say, this is signs you're, you're off the spirit of God. But then actually in, in verse 4, he, he defines prayer, love. He goes, love, that, that's, that's the love of Jesus flowing out of you. It's, he goes, it, love is patient, love is kind, verse 4. Love does not envy, it doesn't boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, doesn't keep a record of wrongs that people have done to you. It does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. You know, in other words, we're safe. When people get near you, it's like getting near Jesus. And it's, you're so safe that no matter what they do, they know you love them. It, 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 you're approachable. You're soft. They know you're not going to smash them when they cross the wrong line. And so you may be disciplining your child, but it comes out loving. You may be saying a hard thing to somebody, but it comes out, they feel the love coming through it. Because it's, it's this love of Jesus, and actually it's a supernatural grace of the heart, of, of God in the heart. And people can feel it as you're involved with them, regardless if it's at work, at home, in a marriage, in a relationship. And so the problem is that love is, is, is a harsh and dreadful thing in practice compared to love and dreams. It's really tough. My first 17 years as a Christian, let me tell you something. No one talked about growing in love. I didn't even think about it. It was like growing gifts, growing power, growing knowledge of the Bible, become a better teacher, a better preacher, a better leader. It was all, you know, more, more better, you know, in terms of outreach and missions and cross-cultural. I was learning a ton. Uh, but was I, my gifts, I think, were getting better and more honed. I was getting more experience in the Christian life. But you know what? I, I, I wasn't growing to be a more loving person. And as far as I was concerned, I was doing fantastic. Uh, the I still stuffed my anger. Uh, if you hurt me, I probably would say, you know, I love you. You know, but I wasn't honest. I wouldn't tell you that you hurt me. Um, I didn't have difficult conversations. In fact, I was so busy. Who had time to love people? I was so busy for God. I didn't have time. My own wife didn't feel loved by me, you know. I mean, you know the story. And I didn't do feelings, and so compassion didn't flow for me. I, uh, so, but my 1996, I'm telling you, it was like I was 17 years a Christian. I had like another conversion. I realized, oh, my gosh, it's not about gifts and power and impact and all this external stuff the world talks about. It's actually about being humble and broken and loving that that's maturity. I'm telling you, it was like such a revolution because not only the, the world doesn't believe that, I realized the church doesn't believe it either. And then I had to wrestle, do I really believe it? Because my measuring stick for maturity was not what Paul's talking about here. It wasn't what I was taught in Bible school or seminary or leadership conferences. So my revelation was that spiritual maturity is measured by loving well like Jesus. That other people flourish. Wow. So I'm like you. I have a lot of bad habits. In fact, what's so ironic, 
I, most of you have bad habits too. I mean, some of you come from cultures that are really nice. You may lie a lot, but you'll, you're nice about it, you know? <laughs> but you're so nice, you know? You come and move to New York and you're so nice and we love when you come to our church. But I watch what happens within two years. You're just like the rest of us. You're, you, you, you know, we, someone says to you, how are you on the street? And you're like, what do you want? <laughs> Who are you talking to? You know, you're, you become a New Yorker. It's like it's gotten into you already, you know. And it kind of New York levels you out. You know, and so, you know, good New Yorkers, we grumble a lot. We complain. We have attitude. Our eyes roll. Oh, man. Look at that hair. Oh, my gosh. You know, what a stupid statement. You know, under our breath. You know, why can't they grow up? Oh, my gosh, that sanitation. Can't they just pick up the garbage? We're paying the taxes, you know. We just, we're, just, we're surrounded by it. And, and we do what Jesus, it's a habit in us. We just murder people all the time. Because Jesus says murder is, is from the heart. We murder people with our looks. We murder people with our comments. We murder people with our sarcasm. My, my, my daughter called me on it yesterday. I, I gave a sarcastic remark. She goes, that's that. I said, oh, shoot. You know, dang, you know. I was trying to have a teaching moment. Through sarcasm. It wasn't working real well, you know. And then you, got, then you have our, our, our family of origin. So here, here, we have bad habits. Okay, we criticize, we're defensive, we're contemptuous, we stonewall. And then we've got, you know, Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa's in your bones. You know, that, that statement we use a lot at New Life about your family of origin, uh, which is in your bones. That, that the way your family did things, it's just in you, going back three to four generations. And uh, one, one interesting, you know, study I read by a guy named Yapko, he's a psychologist, and he, he, he was talking, he's an expert on depression. And so he, he's making this argument that there is depression that's biochemical, and thank God for medication for depression. It's great. But he says there's also a lot of depression which comes out of faulty thinking, negative thinking. And he basically did this, he dedicated his life to see how it's passed on from generation to generation. In other words, if your family was critical and negative, the cup's half empty, you know, you're always nasty. He goes, he goes you just... As a kid, you just absorb it, and you just do the same thing, and then you pass it on to your kids. And so sometimes depression runs in a family, he said, basically. But really, it's all negativity. And if you could shift their way of thinking, you, and he said, he has his own life. He said, you, you find that for some people, the depression actually lifts. I this fascinating study. But, you know, um, I mean, think of your parent, your parent in this room. I mean, you're investing in your kids, right? I mean, uh, and our parents did it for us probably the same way. You want your kids to get a great education. You're killing yourself. The kids get educated, get, you know, skills they need to make it in the marketplace and go out in the world. And you invest your life, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in pushing our kids. But we want them to get the skills to be professional to make it in the world. But we're not even thinking about, I want my kid to learn to love. No, after you make it, then you can learn to love. Because right now, if you love, they'll eat you up alive out there, okay? So you just do what I tell you to do, and you get straight A's, and you get in the best schools, and you can learn loving maybe later. But it's not even on the agenda for most of us in our parenting, because we've so taken on the world, because it's not important to the world. It's secondary. I, we were, Jerry and I were in Malaysia uh, a couple of a month ago, and there's about 530 plus people in the room. And almost everybody was either Chinese uh, or South Asian. There's a lot of South Asians here in Chinese. And so we were doing the exercise Rich and I are going to demonstrate for you and that you'll do at the end of the service on appreciations. And they were really having a hard time with this idea of expressing appreciations. And so we kind of stopped the meeting and said, well, hey, uh, now how many of you grew up in families where your parents 
or caregivers expressed appreciation for you. And nobody raised their hand. Not one. They were thinking, okay, they're being shy, you know, whatever. So we said, let's try it again. How many of you, anybody who's had parents that affirmed you and appreciated you growing up on a regular basis, raise your hands. Not one hand. Okay, and then we opened up the discussion, help us understand, you know, what it was like growing up in that family, et cetera. And it was, it was unbelievable, you know, it was just, it, one after the other. Now, you understand, our parents motivated us by criticism. That was their way of loving us, that we might do better. I said, wow, it sounds like my Italian-American mother as well. I mean, she had a gift for that also, you know. And, um, but it just, so you get these habits of that, that love just not coming. Doesn't mean it's even not in you. And, and then you've just got the issue of we don't even know how to love. You know, we're just so, we're so busy. We've got so much to do. I mean, this is, this is, this is our lives. I mean, we're just, we're just, who's got time to think about loving? I'm just trying to survive. I say to my kids, you got food on the table. You know, what do you want? I love you. Okay? <laughs> and we're so busy. I'm telling you, our pets are busy. Okay, we got busy pets. Listen, I can be preaching to you right now. I can be a pastor at New Life Fellowship Church. It doesn't mean I'm loving at all. Do you understand? I just got to get it done. So Helen over there says, good sermon, Pastor Pete, you know. I mean, I just, it's so easy. You can do it. because Who has time to think about that? I'm just trying to serve you and get you this meal. You, 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 some of you were in, you know, your, your dentist, a lot of you, in fact, a lot of us in this room are in um, service professions, teachers and um, you know, dentists and doctors and nurses and social workers. Many of you are in government, work for the city, public service. Um, and, and, you know, you, you know, it's like love. And a lot of you are in business. You have businesses. And you're creating employment for other people. And have a, you have a real vision that you're shaping for God. Like you're, you're in this business or financial world to create wealth for people to, 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 for the society to flourish, for people to flourish. You've got to have it in your head when you got into the thing. But now you're so busy, you're like... You know, you're, you're a dentist or you're a nurse. Like, here, here's your injection. Now shut up. You know, it's like you're, you're a teacher, but you're just so mad at the kids half the time. You know, you're teaching them. It's like, you know, take it. I didn't get this good teaching. And, but you're so exhausted going through life and overwhelmed yourself. There's not time for that love of Jesus to get into your own soul that it comes out. And our attitude is just like, hey, I'm serving you. What do you want? As one parent said to me, you know, walking out at the first service, you know, they had a big fight with his, he was disciplining his kid. You know, they had a big fight coming to church. Isn't it great how we have fights coming to church? You know? And, but the truth is, that the discipline, there was no love coming out of it. It was just, I'm yelling at you, so you straighten out for the long haul. But you understand, the, the kid feels no love. And he hasn't had the time to get to Jesus, that love of Jesus can flow out of him. And so, yes, he's parenting in a good traditional way, but that's not how we do things in the new family of Jesus. And what Paul's saying to the Corinthians, you can have all this exterior stuff that you call love, but if it's not flowing from a heart that's been melted and soaked in the beauty of the love of Jesus, Paul says it is worth nothing. Because love is the infallible sign of, the, of Jesus in, in a human heart. So... In fact, I love it when he says in verse 1, he goes, If I speak in the tongues of humans and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, this is a resounding gong, okay? 
And because in those days they had pagan temples in Corinth. And so you'd come in the temple and you'd bang the gong. And you're basically saying to the gods, I'm here. God, I'm here. And Paul's saying this. If you don't have love and you're coming to church, you know what? You're just making a lot of noise. It's just a lot of noise. There's no life. It's just gifts and power and you're building this thing, but it's just noise without love. So what do we need to do? We, we, we need to... We've got to allow the grace and the love of Jesus to penetrate our own souls. I mean, I, you know, we've got to be melted by this beauty of Jesus. We need time and space for that to happen. And so what Paul does in the first part of the book in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 1 and 2, he says, he starts talking about Jesus to Corinthians. He goes, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And he starts talking about Jesus, you know, and Jews demand signs, Greek look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. And he kind of pointing everybody to Jesus. So friends, we are about Jesus here. Loving Jesus and allowing the love of Jesus to come into us. Crafting a lifestyle. That's why this series was about seven signs of a, a life that's been deeply transformed by Jesus. We've got things like Sabbath and silence and scripture in our lives. and we got, That's why we're a church. We're fellowshipping. We're here in worship. We're trying to create a life where we're letting Jesus in to soak into us. And uh, that's number one, because unless that happens, I cannot give what I don't possess. I can't give a Jesus to you that I don't have inside of me. It's just external work. So we let Jesus in. I, I love the way Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, put it. Jonathan Edwards was, was a um, preacher in the 1700s. And here's the way he explained this text. He says, it's evident beyond all doubt that the saving grace of God in the heart working a holy temper in his soul. Let me stop there for a second. In other words, if, if you've allowed Jesus into your life, the saving grace of Jesus is in you. And, I, and if you haven't, I hope you do today. Uh, it goes, working a holy temper in the soul. In other words, if you are allowing Jesus, you've created a lifestyle where you're letting Jesus continually soften and transform your heart. It's very easy to let your heart get hard and cold. But it goes, if you're allowing that grace of Jesus by the Holy Spirit to melt your heart continually. Here's what he says. He says, that is the greatest blessing that ever can be received in this world. Greater than the greatest natural gifts or abilities. You may be the most gifted person in the world. You may say, I'm not gifted like so-and-so. I'm not as smart as so-and-so. He says, no. It's greater than the greatest natural gifts or abilities. Greater than the most universal learning. Greater than any other wealth or honor. Greater than to be a king or an emperor. That all the riches and magnificence of Solomon in all his glory is not to be compared with it. Do you understand? If you allow Jesus to help you become a loving person, you are the richest person in the world. You are the most blessed person on earth. This is the opposite of the culture. This is the opposite of the world. And Paul's saying, Corinthians, you have bought into a secular system here, and you've just transported it into church. Greatness here in the new family of Jesus. The greatest gift that we bring our culture is hearts that are soft and broken and approachable, are safe, because the love of Jesus is flowing out of us. And that's why the most important thing we do is learn to love. And, and so we teach at New Life, and we have since 1996, something called skills. Practical skills to love well. We call them emotionally healthy skills. And because we all come from different cultures here. Our families taught us certain things. 
but what does it mean to love a person well? You're getting, many of you spent so much money on your education, and I'm a believer in education, but I want to tell you something. That is secondary to becoming a great lover of people. And so the, think of the amount of time and energy and money that you invested in your profession or your career. And now think about how much time, energy, and money you have invested to learn how to love well. Usually it's zero to a big number on the other side. So at New Life, we are deeply committed to skills that teach people to love well. And so we call them emotionally healthy skills, you know, 2.0, maybe a 3.0. And we teach certain skills. And I don't have time to go into it all. So the question is, you know, how do I have a hard conversation when someone's hurt me, for example, or I've got to say something difficult? How do I be honest? How do I be clear? How do I be respectful? How do I not just be, how do I not do dirty fighting? How do I do clean fighting? You know, how do I parent in such a way that I'm, I'm setting some boundaries, but it comes through as loving and not just nasty? You know, how do I go to my boss and ask him for a change in what he's asking me to do in a way that's respectful, and yet he's my authority over me? These are all skills one has to learn, because we don't learn them in the world. But communicating the love of Jesus is the most important thing in the world. And so we teach these different skills. And so, you know, as a curriculum called Emotional Healthy Skills 2.0, that we, we, we expect everyone at New Life to go through at some point. Because we know that learning to love Jesus is number one, and then learning to love other people, there is nothing more important in life. And unless we learn to love, the world will never know Jesus. That's what he said. The world will know you by the way that you love one another. And so again, there's a lot of complexity. But today, uh, I want you to pull out in your bulletin, there's a little sheet. Pull it out. And today, I'm gonna, we're going to, Rich and I are going to demonstrate, and you're going to practice one part of one skill. It's called the community temperature reading. How many, anybody not have it? Okay, if you don't have it, raise your hands and maybe I'll sure, if you could give it a, a bulletin, that'd be great. Um, keep your hand up and they'll give it to you as I'm, as I'm chatting here. So, the reason I'm going to, there's so many things I could do right now, but I'm doing this little segment called appreciations. Uh, you'll notice there's five elements even to this first skill. And, um, we're just going to do the section that says, I appreciate, because this is so foundational to even beginning to love other people well. And it is the, it is the exact opposite of New York. I mean, it's just the opposite of the culture to appreciate people. And uh, it's so countercultural. So, uh, so let me just say a few words before Rich and I, I demonstrate it. Uh, appreciations are about focusing on the positive aspects of life. Uh, what someone has done, uh, very specifically, actually, in this case. So we, most of us, we don't appreciate people unless they go over and above the call of duty. Then we say something. This is not that. This is like, I, I'm, I'm actually noting appreciations. Uh, it's very underrated. Uh, there's a fellow named John Gottman who's like the expert on relationships, especially marriage relationships, and he has this magic ratio of five to one that he's discovered after 30 years, which basically for every, you need five positives in a relationship for every one negative. Okay? So uh, I thought about that with my mom. She was a hundred million negative. I said, if I could have gotten, a, I said, man, I got all those positives. But he actually predicts that in, in, a, in a marriage relationship in particular, he says, if there is more negatives, if that 5-1 ratio is broken, that relationship will either stagnate for life or it will end. 
It can, a relationship cannot survive constant negativity unless the other person dies in, internally. You just can't survive that kind of barrage. It's very interesting. Um, this issue of appreciation is not just a nice thing to do. It's actually quite close to worship. The book of Psalms talks about giving God praise a lot. It also talks in the same phrase as giving him thanks. So giving, God, giving people thanks of appreciation is actually, it, it's a way, if we're done in the right spirit, it's a way of worship. Because I'm recognizing God in a person. I'm recognizing God coming through a person with a gift for me. And so it, in a sense, it's, it actually keeps me God-focused. Um, and it, there's been studies done on this. Appreciations actually change the brain. Jerry calls it, it's food for the brain. It changes the neurochemistry of people. They actually feel, you feel, you feel different when you're receiving it, and you feel different when you actually give it. And, uh, and so, um, you know, let me tell you something. Babies long for it. Elderly people in their 90s long for it. Everybody longs for it. We, we were made to actually receive it, and we actually were made to give it. So, uh, Rich and I are going to demonstrate it real quickly, okay? And then I'm going to ask you to do it. So, Rich, can we do a little piece of this community temperature reading? Okay. So we'll, we'll do it live, like, you know, you and I. And, uh, okay. So I got a couple things, Rich, to appreciate about you. Um, I really appreciate the way that you prepare for our staff meetings here on Wednesdays. Um, that you think it through. And they are just great meetings. Uh, I just, I look forward to them every week. And so thank you. I also appreciate your sermons. I appreciate that you don't wing it. Uh, and because you're funny enough and a gifted enough speaker that you could, but you don't. And I really appreciate that you feed us every time you preach, and that's just such a gift. And I want to thank you. And then I also, lastly, I just really appreciate your flexibility. I mean, I, you're, you're um, just... Just you're, you're, you're just able to flex with people. And let, this past week, as we were talking about this panel on a frank discussion on race that we're going to do together in October uh, in Manhattan, that as we were talking about different ways to approach it, and, you know, I, I just so appreciated your flexibility in finessing it and change there on the phone. And it, wasn't, it just wasn't a big deal. And I got off the phone and said, Oh, Lord, thank you that he's just, he's just flexible. He can go back and forth, and I just appreciate it. So, thank you. Thank you, Pete. Appreciate that. Well. <laughs> uh, yeah, I want to appreciate you as well for a couple of things. One, for the hospitality that you offered to Rosie and I. Uh, you invited us over your home uh, about a month ago. You and Jerry, just breakfast. It was, we felt really cared for and welcomed and received by you. So, thank you for your hospitality. Um, I also want to thank you for your, the integrity that you carry. Um, whether at New Life, you're speaking around the world, and you wrote the book, and it's easy to write something and not live it. And so I appreciate that. Not only have you, did you write the book, but you're living it, and it's clear and it's evident to me and to others around you. And I really appreciate that, uh, how you have uh, been a big champion for me um, as your successor taking new life places that we've never been before, and you've been in my corner 100%. And so I just really appreciate um, the champion you've been for me and for our church. Thank you. Thank you. Very nice. Feels good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So not all of you are with somebody you know, so I'm going to ask you in just a minute to do the same thing. 
but a number of you, a lot of you, maybe half of you are going to do it to somebody you don't know. Introduce yourself. So you're going to ask, tell that person, I want you to fill in for someone. All right, so I'm going to ask Rich to fill in. Let's make believe you're Jerry, and then I'll be Rosie. <laughs> I don't know if Rosie's here. She was here first service. I don't know if she's here. But. All right, so um, uh, Jerry, <laughs> I really appreciate the way that you are taking care of your mom at 90 years old uh, and thinking about her and dealing with her and, you know, as her health is declining, uh, just the love and tenderness you're having for her, she, it's not, as it's not an easy thing. I really appreciate that. I really also appreciate that when we go away for a week, uh, in two weeks, to uh, with your whole family for vacation, just the kind of planning you did about what they could do and uh, all of us, like you thought through all the fun and I really appreciate that. I got the email this week. And I really appreciate our small group that we'll be leading in September, that you're on it. Like, you know, you're sending out emails to the people in the group. You're, you're, you, know, you got us praying for the people. I mean, I just, I love being under your leadership as a small group leader. Uh, and just what a great job you do. So, thank you. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> so, Rosie and honey, if you can hear this, this is for you. Ba you're right there, baby. All right, in the back there. All right. Rosie. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, first, I want to appreciate um, the the time and effort that you put into leading our kids ministry, and it's evident that you love our children uh, and our church, and you want to create a wonderful environment for people to, for kids to know Jesus, and it's beautiful. Uh, I appreciate that uh, you gave me the time to uh, hang out with some folks Friday night to go to City Field and watch the Mets play. And by the time I got home, the kids were put to bed, and I really appreciate that, honey. Um, and I just appreciate that you have the, the big picture in mind when it comes to just home life. You have the big picture, and you have the details, and my mind can be pretty scatterbrained at home, and you just put a lot of time into organizing our home life. And so, thank you, baby. I love you over there. Yeah. I I just want to give him a kiss myself. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Hug would suffice, Peter. Hug would suffice. <laughs> Thank you, Rosie. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. If you don't know the person next to you, I'm going to ask that you introduce yourself to them and tell them who they're sitting in for. All right? Now, I know this is, for some of you, this is, this is hard. I mean, because you know, if you never received it or rarely have received it, it's not easy to give. All right, so I want to, you know, maybe I want you to take a, you know, a few seconds to think about it. You know, close your eyes and just think about a couple of things. Because it really is a skill. And ask God for help. So I'm going to ask you right now. I'm going to give you about two, three minutes. I want you to turn right now to one person. Uh, that you, If you know the person, do it with them. If you don't, turn around and introduce yourself, all right? Go ahead. Just, you can do it. Up there in the balcony. That's good. That was good. That was great. Oh, yeah. Worship team. Oh, yeah. They, they, they want to do it. Hey, they're coming. What song do you have to close? Um, 
feet the Father What's the chorus? How's the chorus go? What's the chorus? Second one sounds good. Let's do the second one. Let's do the second one. But you gotta be tight because of time, you know? Just gotta be a couple minutes. You probably can't go too long with it, but just shorten it a bit, okay? Thank you. Start from the top. Down in your hands. Um, I'm gonna have to short. Excuse me, repeat. Um, so six o'clock on Friday. Your workshop on expectations. Yeah. I'm gonna announce it right now. Oh. You'll be downstairs. You'll be downstairs. There's registration downstairs. All right.
What is more important than learning to love?